Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Um, probably giving something back to society. For me, when I die, I just want to be remembered, pretty much. Well, I want to become a singer. A beautiful wife, some rad kids so I can take surfing. Owning a business. Retire young. <laughs> just a healthy life and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Getting a family. I do want to, like, help my family out. You know, that's probably, like, get a lot of money and, like, put them in, like, a good place. I want to be rich. I want to be in love all the time. <laughs> that's my dream. I just don't want to have regrets. To know my purpose. A good night's sleep. I hope everyone tries to help each other more. Live hard and die young. As long as I'm happy, I'm, I'm, I'm good. How can I make the most of the rest of my life? And you only get one life. And you might wish for more. Uh, one poet and writer, D.H. Lawrence, said this. If we could only have two lives, the first one in which to make our mistakes, and the second one in which to profit by them. And there's some truth to that. We all go through life, and we're on stage right away. We've got one life to live, and there's no dress rehearsals. We make mistakes. We learn from our mistakes, but we have to keep moving forward. And the good news, though, is that God loves you, that God has a purpose for the rest of your life. God has a purpose for your life. And Paul describes how we can make the most of our life with Romans 12, 1 to 2. The first 11 chapters of Romans is, is uh, about what God has done for us. But in Romans 12, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in the booklets, uh, talk point one is, what should we do? We're here, we're at this point in our lives, we might be faced with a critical decision, or we're just kind of realizing that God does have this greater plan for our lives so what should we do? Well, first thing he says, break with the past. And this is essentially what repentance means. If you've heard the word to repent, it's this 180, this complete turn from where you were going and the path you were on. And it's breaking with the past and heading toward Jesus. We're called to be different. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Or as another translation puts it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The world, there's, there's this world that, that is hostile to God in any sense of, of uh, faith and religion. And there's this hostility towards God. And this is the challenge. There's this huge pressure to conform. And even when we're at church together, there's a pressure to, to conform sometimes. There's a pressure to, to act more Christian or put on kind of the facade and the mask that everything's fine and dandy. And if, if we're actually saved, then we should be uh, more triumphant and victorious. But that's not how it always is. 
Because then the moment we leave here and we go back to our homes, our workplaces, our families, then there's this pressure to act completely opposite, completely different. So it's hard to be different. And take, for example, this young police officer in this story. There was a young police officer who was doing his final exams. The first few questions in the paper were relatively easy, but then he got to question four. Question four went like this. You're on patrol when an explosion occurs in the gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is at present away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that he's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly another man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion and he cannot swim. Describe in a few words what actions you would take. The officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. The pressure to conform, it, uh, th there's this, this ease to just, you know what, let's take off our uniform and let's just mingle with the crowd. Let's take off our, our Christian uniform, if you, if you will, and just mingle with the crowd. Because sometimes it's hard to be faced with all of these challenging de decisions. It's so much easier to mingle with the crowd. But we're called to remain distinctive. So another way to put it is we're called to be like chrysalis rather than a chameleon. So here the, the chrysalis, it, it transforms into this beautiful butterfly, whereas the chameleon, uh, he matches his surroundings. If he's on gray, he'll match gray. If he's on a green background, he, he matches the green, yellow and yellow. And that's the temptation. To, to be Christian in a Christian environment, um, to, so to come to church and to, to put on the, the kind of the Christian mask, but then you go out into the, the workplace, your community, and then to, to match that society. But Paul's kind of, he's kind of telling us to, to transform, not just to match our surroundings. Because if we just become like everyone around us, it creates a tension in our lives because then we're one thing in one environment and one in another, and it's hard to keep up balancing all of these different masks that we're wearing. And we are called to be different, but again, I think it's important to point out that we're not called to be odd. I think that's sometimes a thing, like, I remember Nicky Gumbel talking about porridge parties he would see his college friends having, and he's like, who wants to go to a porridge party? It's literally, you're sitting around eating porridge. Um, but we're not called to, to wear odd clothes, to speak in an odd language. We, we may make friends and end up at a porridge party one day, and it might seem odd, but we're actually just called to be normal, though. Jesus was one of the most normal was the most normal person that ever lived. He was the most fully integrated human being. So what Paul is saying in all of this with this transformation is, is break with the past and make a brand new start. So turn around from, from where you were, whatever it was that, that you've lived through and have experienced, and now make this fresh start with God. Be transformed. Let God transform you inwardly 
by complete change, as one translation puts it. But I don't know about you, but I think we, we have this fear of change. And we can say it, see it play out in so many ways. And, and maybe you come to church and you've seen a change in a friend or someone that you know or someone else. And you're like, wow, that's pretty awesome for them. But I'm not sure I'm, I'm really ready to go there because that's a little too scary. I don't know what it would take for me to actually have to live out that change. What it would mean for me to make that change. And I still remember the initial feelings when God was working in my heart and transforming my life. And I would look at other people and I'm like, I love what you have. I love some of these decisions you made. And you have this fire and this enthusiasm and excitement. But again, there was that fear of I've got a good job. It's paying the bills. I've got my motorbike, my car, my, uh, everything that, uh, that I had wanted at the time. And I remember thinking, I'd, I'd give up anything to have that close relationship with God. But I also kind of played this game that, but God wouldn't actually ask me to give that up. Well, for me, God knew that all those things were actually distractions. I always said, yeah, I wanted more money, but then it's because I'd be extra generous and give it to all these people. Or if I had all these other cool things, then I'd, I'd be a good youth uh, worker, but not a youth pastor at all. But God knew that I had to give up all those things. And I actually was, was faced with a point in time where I had to I put it all up for sale. And it was that year that I ended up meeting Amanda. And then everything has unfolded the way it is. And I'm standing here today. And I look back and I'm like, I wouldn't change that in a million years. But the thought of changing, man, I was scared to death. Changing is difficult, but the point is this. God's not going to ask you to leave behind stuff that's good. God loves you. He wants the very best for our lives. I think essentially he asks us to leave the crap behind. And I choose the word crap intentionally because I thought junk at first. He wants us to leave junk behind. But there's something about junk food that we still enjoy. And junk doesn't have the same connotation. He wants us to leave the filth. He wants us to get, to get rid of it. Anything that's blocking us from him. He asks us to leave that behind or to leave some of the distractions behind. Nikki tells a story of when he first started in ministry. And he was recently ordained as an Anglican minister and he was asked to take a funeral for someone who was a street person. Someone who'd lived out on the streets. And as you know, people who live on the streets are like anybody else in community. Some of the people are wonderful, amazing people. And some people are a little bit difficult. And this person, Nikki describes, fell into the camp of a little bit difficult. And normally, if someone's been living on the street, and they're a little bit difficult, they're rude to people... Um, they're quite aggressive. You wouldn't expect many people to show up at their funeral. However, this woman had actually inherited a huge estate long before she died. She'd become very wealthy. She actually had millions of dollars in her name. She had an apartment filled with lots of valuable paintings. Nikki quickly discovered where there's a will, there's relatives. And it proved that because when he arrived at the funeral... There were masses of people there. There were long-lost cousins from Australia, executive 
executives, lawyers. So Nikki was fascinated by all this stuff, and he wanted to know why this woman continued to live on the streets. So eventually he asked one of the relatives and was told this, I guess she didn't want to leave behind the life she knew. And it seems so absolutely bizarre, but sadly, this happens to so many people. With all that Jesus offers, life in all its fullness, you still have people saying, but I don't want to leave behind the junk, the filth. But unless we leave that behind, we can't truly enjoy all the treasures that God has in store for us. That's what I was wrestling with in my own life, was this whole tension between, okay, let me just keep some of this stuff over here, just let me keep the motorbike, that's a blast. But God's like, no, are you, are you letting it go of it for me? And I still, I share this story often, I had bought a place over by Upper James, and I still kick myself, because I got it for $157,000, and I, I still, people will ask, why did you sell it? Why didn't you just rent it? But I knew in my own heart of hearts and my spirit that God was asking me to make this complete break. I had no plan to ever come back to Hamilton. But I made that break and God took me out west. He continued to transform me and reshape me, remold me and bring me back to where I was born and raised. And it's pretty incredible to kind of realize the transformation, to see it firsthand between who I used to be and who I am now. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Paul sets out some treasures that God has for us. In Romans 12, 9 to 10, he says, Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So the first thing is sincere love. Well, what is sincere love? Well, the world actually, the word he actually uses here is anapukratos. I'm probably butchering that word, but that's the Greek, anapukratos. And it just means without hypocrisy. Anapukratos was the mask that they put on in a Greek play. And in life, we put on masks when we're not comfortable with who we are. Our masks say, look, I prefer to be like this. That's my mask. I love being energetic, in your face, happy. And if I'm struggling and, and feeling down, I still like to put on that mask. But what happens is when we keep wearing these masks, is we, we just keep running in to masks. And there's no sincerity. It's all about image and spin and whatever you want to call it. But what happens when you know that God loves you and you know that God loves you so much, just as you are, you can drop the mask and you can just be yourself. You can be authentic. You can be real. And that's what it means for us to be human, just loved by God. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to drop the mask. And, and that's my heartbeat for the, the well. My desire is that this is a place that we can come in and, and you may have the temptation to put on the mask, but please don't. Know that this is a safe place where you can 
drop the mask and that you are sincerely loved. When that happens, you get this real connection happening. You, you might have already observed this at the well because it's amazing how quickly it's happened. Um, it, Jacqueline, you actually told me that the last New Year's potluck, you're like, it's amazing to see how, how much it's changed in a year because our first potluck, we're kind of all walking in like, okay, where am I going to sit? Who's that person? Who's this? And then the second potluck we have, there's more relationship happening. And we kept having potlucks. And then we had our last New Year's potluck. And the conversations and the laughter and everyone just seemed to know one another. Because gradually, we began dropping the masks. We started to open up. We started to be honest. We started to be vulnerable, just saying, here's my crap. But you know what? I'm leaning into Jesus, and I need your help. And I want to help you. We think that we'll impress people by our strengths, but we actually connect with people through our vulnerabilities. When people drop the masks, as many have done here, you get these amazing relationships beginning to form. And I even just think of the, the guy study. I, I had to miss the first two, and, and I remember getting a few texts, and they're like, man, like we just had such good connection, and people opened up and shared, and, and I'm like, man, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I couldn't wait to join them. Paul goes on to say that another treasure is enthusiasm in your relationship with God. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, don't just have this one-off experience with God, but this is actually meant to last a lifetime. I don't know what happened to you last week as we prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but my guess is that there were probably a variety of things happening. I know I, I admitted that when I feel the Holy Spirit's presence that I begin to, to cry and, and tear up, and I, I don't cry outside of that. Um, so so I, I get these feelings of embarrassment, but I also get this feeling of like wholeness and fullness, and I'm like, man, this is God moving in me. And Now, some of you might have felt an awkwardness, like this is completely bizarre and I want to get out of here. And other people, you might have been disappointed if you wanted God to show up in a certain way and he didn't show up. But what amazed me was to see people around the tables praying for one another, lifting one another up in prayer. Because you know what? It doesn't matter which of those categories you're in. What matters is the long term. It's not about this initial experience. It's about the long haul. It's a bit like a honeymoon in marriage. You can have a great honeymoon, but you might have a terrible marriage. Or you can have a terrible honeymoon, and you might have a great marriage. And it makes me laugh thinking of some of these things, because I know of a couple that went on their honeymoon, and they went somewhere really hot, and they forgot to put on sunscreen. So, of course, they get sunburnt, and they can't touch each other for the rest of the week. <laughs> And then the other one that makes me laugh is, it's not their honeymoon, but my grandparents' first date. My grandpa, you know where the story ends up since they're my grandparents, but my grandpa took my grandma to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And on their way home, he looks in his pocket and he realizes he only has enough money for a milkshake, for one. So he puts my grandma on a bus and sends her home and he went for the milkshake. 
<laughs> but for 55 years, they were very happily married. And that's what matters. It's the long term. Just like in a good marriage, the relationship gets better and better and better as the marriage goes on. And that's like our relationship with God. It might not start off on this huge mountaintop experience. You might be the one on the bus missing out on a milkshake. But it gets better and better and better as we continue to walk with him and journey with him and grow closer to him. God loves us. He wants the best for us in everything. And you know what? Talking of marriage, it's an amazing gift from God. It's not the, the be-all and end-all, and I, I think sometimes church communities have, have elevated it to a degree that it shouldn't be. But nevertheless, God came up with the idea of marriage. This is one of the treasures that God has. And he came up with this idea of sex. That, that it's his idea. He's not surprised by it. He's, he's not looking down from heaven saying, like, goodness gracious, what are they doing? What are they going to think of next? It, it, it's God's invention. It, it's not the devil. And again, that's an area that um, I know there's a lot of people who struggle when you've grown up in a Christian environment and you think it's so taboo and so bad, and then you get to your honeymoon and, and it's hard to switch that mindset. You're like, is this right? Is this wrong? Is the devil wants to distort and destroy things that are good and that are beautiful. But it was God's idea. And it's a beautiful gift. And there's a whole book in the Bible about the delight, the contentment, the satisfaction that it brings. But the inventor, designer, because he loves us, says, look, this is my beautiful gift for you. But this is how you're supposed to use this gift. And Jesus quotes the book of Genesis, which says, For this reason a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. There's this public act of leaving. There's this gluing together, not just physically and biologically, but emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, socially. And that's the context of this one flesh union that takes place. And it's beautiful. It's the most romantic view apart from anything else, sex and marriage and relationships. And it's God's plan. It's God's purpose. There's no such thing as casual sex because the word that's used here for becoming one flesh is like becoming two glued together. In our last youth group during our, our sex series, which we called Facebook Official, um, I, I didn't even realize how long I had talked because the kids were glued to me went on for like an hour. I'm like, okay, it's time for small groups. And they're like, my parents are here to pick us up. Um, I don't know what I said, but I do remember this one illustration. And I glued these two pieces of cardboard together. And then I had them try and pull it apart without damaging the other. But of course, as you pull it apart, you're ripping apart and you're damaging the two pieces of cardboard. And that's in this union, this is what happens. People are hurt, people are damaged, people are broken because we're going outside of God's plan. But here's the thing. God doesn't want you to get hurt. He loves you. He doesn't want anyone to get hurt. And here's the great news, the good news, is that 
It's never too late. God loves you. The society Paul was writing to was just like ours. God's standards weren't being met. There were, there were hurting relationships, hurting people, brokenness all around. But this is what I love. Paul doesn't condemn them. There's no sense of condemnation here at all. He just says, don't do this any longer. He doesn't say, you ter- you're terrible people for doing this in the past. He just says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You know what? Do the 180. You're going this way, and then God grabs a hold of your life, and it's this complete turnaround. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. This is the good news, that God forgives us through Jesus. We can always make a new start. Every day can be a new start. Today can be a new start. And sometimes we just have to keep hitting that reset button, going to God and asking for his forgiveness, which he's poured out on all of us. This is the radical love of God. It's not just about being a little bit nicer of a person, but it's about stepping into this new way of being and loving, loving God, loving others, loving our enemies. And it's beautiful. And it's what God has in store for us when we're willing to leave behind the junk in our lives. So how do we do it? Well, first, Paul writes, present your bodies. That's everything that you have, your time. Time is the most valuable, valuable possession that you have. You can get more money, but you can't get more time. And one of the things I've noticed is the moment someone puts their trust in Jesus, priorities change. But let's face it, it's easy to get our priorities wrong. And I'm a little bit embarrassed I'm going to show this terrible joke, but here it is. Wanted, good woman, must be able to clean, cook, sew, dig worms, and clean fish, must have boat and motor. Please send picture of boat and motor. (laughs) We can get our priorities mixed up. We can put things in the wrong place. But when you experience God's love and a relationship with God, your priorities begin to change. People begin to become the most important thing. That's why part of our mission is connect, grow, give, go. It's not just about connecting with others, though. It's about connecting with God. And what I would encourage you is to put that first, your relationship with God. Make a commitment that, you know what, I'm going to start trying to spend a few minutes every day praying, reading my Bible. Because it's those, those simple steps that begin transforming your relationship with God. Because it's about communication. All relationships are based on communication. But it's not out of duty, it's out of desire. I think I've shared this story before when I met with a spiritual director when I was doing my uh, master's here at McMaster. And I met with her, and, and I, was, I had just been burnt out at a previous ministry. I was tired, I was exhausted, but I was still studying um, theology. And, and I just said, I've, you know, I've lost my passion. Like, I feel like it's, it is just religious. I'm going through the motions. And she said, Kevin, let go of everything that you've kind of accumulated over the years and that you've put on that makes you feel more religious or more Christian. Let it all go and discover Jesus. And it seemed like a really weird idea. And she probably knew I was in safe hands because I was still going through for my master's in theology. 
But I let go of the, the Bible reading, and I, I let go of e- even praying, and I, I let go of all these things, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, and I'll check in there in a couple weeks. But what I discovered as I let go of those things, I then started longing for it again. And I, I started just crying out to God, and I was angry with him over a few things and how things had resulted. And then as I, I began pouring that out, then I started digging into the Psalms, and I'm like, well, this guy articulates it pretty good here, then I should start reading some of these thoughts. And, and I started getting back into Scripture, and I rediscovered the person of Jesus, and I fell in love with him all over again. And I, I was reminded that it's not this duty, this obligation that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. We don't do it out of duty, but do it out of desire, just like any relationship. But then, as we're pursuing our relationship with God, we do need other people. We need to connect with others. We can't do this on our own. And that's why coming together as the church is such a good priority. It's an hour and a half a week to come together with a group of amazing people to worship God, to hopefully hear a message that's relevant to your life, to, to pray with and for one another. The church is another way we keep our relationship with God and we prioritize it. But then we also give up our ambitions. We give him our ambitions. Should a Christian be ambitious? Jesus' answer is yes. He commands us to be ambitious. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all the other stuff that people seek after will be yours as well. What he's saying is don't make the secondary things your primary ambition. That's an example of getting our priorities wrong. When people make money their primary ambition. I mean, what, what's the point of it? And that's some of the distractions I was facing. That's why I had actually given up dating as this commitment to God. And then I met Amanda and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I reconcile this? And her dad actually gave me this exact verse. He said, seek first the kingdom. He said, you know what? If, if God's kind of bringing you and Amanda together to spur you on in your relationship to him, he's like, then I don't think you're breaking this commitment. But he's like, if she's going to be a distraction to seeking first the kingdom, he's like, I hold off on the relationship. I always say that I took some time to pray about it. Amanda thinks I asked her out, and immediately I was done talking to her dad. (laughs) We'll agree to disagree. (laughs) But you know what? So often money becomes our primary ambition. And let's say you make a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars by the end of your life. What's the point of it? You get to heaven and you say, God, here I am. I've got a hundred billion dollars. And he's like, good for you. We can sure use that here. Like other people make their ambition that like, okay, well, I want to be the CEO of this huge national company. And then again, one day when we're face to face with God and It's kind of this question of what did you do with your life? And you're like, well, I was CEO here and did this and that. He's like, awesome. Haven't had one of these here before. What's the point? But here's where I want to encourage you. As a secondary ambition, brilliant. If your primary ambition is the kingdom of God, 
And you say, I want to make lots of money because I know that through that money, I can eradicate disease, I can help the poor, I can make a real difference to this world. Brilliant. Good. But you need to keep in check, is that your, your primary ambition or your secondary? Money can be such a blessing. We know all the things that you can do with it. But what you can do is also to begin giving generously. And what I mean is that determine that you're going to be the most generous giver that you know. Because generous giving is so liberating. It's much more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to really be blessed, give lots. Become the most generous person that you know. And, and it's not always just finances. It, it's giving of your time, giving of your resources, giving, giving, of, your, giving of your God-given abilities and gifts. And I've discovered that over and over and over again. Because I honestly think it's weird. When I was single and had no responsibilities, my income was high. And as my responsibilities have grown and family and everything, my income has, like, gone down. But you know what? I remember meeting with our financial advisor, and he's like, how on earth are you living? And I'm like, I don't know. But you know what? God's got us. And I wouldn't change a thing for the world because God has provided in so many ways again. But it's this posture of generosity, of radical generosity. And then we also give of our ears. What do we listen to? Do we just listen to junk, to gossip, to, to whatever? Or do you listen to stuff that builds you up and encourages you? Our eyes. We can use our eyes to look in lust and jealousy and all that stuff. Or we can look at people and say, that's a person who God loves. That's a person who Jesus died for. I'm going to love that person. I want to bring blessing to that person. How can I bring God's love to them? Our mouths. You know, James says the tongue is so powerful. And again, we just talked about this in our guy's study a couple weeks ago. And then I failed miserably for the rest of the week. And this little thing in here, I was just able to, to chip away at Amanda's patience, at um, various people. It's so small, but it's so powerful. You can use it to, to bless, or you can use it to curse. You can wreck someone's day, or you can even, you can even wreck someone's life with your tongue. But he says you can also speak life. We can choose to say that I want to use my tongue for the rest of my life to bless people. And do you realize that just with a few words, you can encourage someone, make a huge difference in someone's day. Encouragement is like verbal sunshine or like a big warm hug. I actually received a few text messages and Facebook messages today or this week with just a word of encouragement. And it honestly just brightened my day. And I was like, this is awesome. You can bring blessing every single day to someone with this instrument called the tongue. And then our hands. Do we use them to take or to serve? And our sexuality. 
for our own gratification or for the good and pleasure of our marriage partner. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the crazy paradox is this. We think that if we do that, we're going to lose our freedom. But it's actually the way we find our freedom. So he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it means there will be a cost. Jesus didn't come to make our life easy. He came to make us great, to be in relationship with us. And that means there will be lots of challenges in what we have to do for a start is getting rid of the junk that's distracting us, that's holding us back from him. It's only junk. It might seem like this is the only thing you're used to, the only thing you know that's safe. But you know what? The safest place to be is with God. Then the challenge of being willing to fly his flag in what can seem like a hostile environment around us. It's not always easy to share what we're doing on a Saturday night if we're surrounded by people who, who are atheists or agnostics and have a hostility toward God. It's not always easy to share our faith at work or at school, and in some instances, it, you run the risk of severe ramifications if you do. I know one person here in Hamilton, she... Uh, caught her employee stealing from the company and from customers. So she sat this person down, and she, she just said, look, what you're doing is wrong. We need to make things right. So, of course, the person was remorseful. I'm very sorry. It won't happen again. So she was given a second chance. Then again, a few months later, this person was caught again stealing from the company. So the employer sat them down and, and said, you know what, is it okay if I just read for you just a, a verse from my Bible? Because I want you to know where I'm coming from. And the person agreed, yep, absolutely. But then upon being let go, went immediately to human resources and filed a, a complaint for discrimination. And sued this company for thousands and thousands of dollars. And the company said, but I, I, I asked if it was okay to just show them where I was coming from. And the lawyer said, pay whatever they want because it's not going to go well for you. Like that's some of the hostility now that we're facing in our environment. But are we willing to fly the flag of Jesus in a hostile environment at the appropriate times? always easy to navigate our world while staying true to the countercultural way of Jesus. So then why do we do it? Let's listen to the testimony of Scott Harrison, who's the founder and CEO of Charity Water. I grew up as an only child. Um, I was the good church kid. At 18, like so many bad cliches, I rebel. Uh, became uh, a nightclub promoter. And over the next 10 years, from uh, about 18 to 28, really climbed up New York's social ladder. At 28, uh, I had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. Uh, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, uh, I had a Rolex, I had a Labrador Retriever, I had a grand piano in my apartment in New York, and I was so unhappy. Something awakened in me, something, 
it was a realization maybe that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. There would never be enough girls, there'd never be enough drugs, there'd never be enough parties. I guess it was a fresh look, being able to take a look at faith again with fresh eyes. And I became so compelled by uh, a Jesus who went around serving the poor, who went around looking after others and, and lived a life of integrity. You know, this is verse uh, in James that I came across that said, true religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. So I was 0 for 2. Uh, not only had I done nothing for the poor in a decade, I literally polluted people for a living. I made this radical, uh, radical life move. I wound up selling all of my possessions. I joined this humanitarian mission, a group of medical doctors, volunteering in West Africa, operating on a huge hospital ship, and I become their photojournalist. I saw a lot of stuff uh, over those two years, and I think the thing that struck me the most was people drinking dirty water. Half of the country didn't even have their most basic need for health met. Half the country didn't have clean water to drink. And when I landed back in New York, I was 30. And this was the issue that I felt so compelled to work on. And Charity Water was definitely birthed out of my faith experience, of, of me returning back to Christ, to, um, to God again. And, it, you know, I believe that the idea of Charity Water is very close to God's heart. I believe the idea of a world where every single person drinks clean water is, is so fluid, is so in line with the heart of, of God, the heart of the Father. Uh, and, and it's an amazing thing to be able to do with, with my work. Over the last nine years, we've raised almost $200 million. Uh, we've helped over 5.5 uh, million people around the world get access to clean water. So we've made a little bit of a dent. Uh, and, and most importantly, the number of people without water has come down from a billion to 660 million. You know, if I look back on it, I think this idea of really trying to serve God through my work, um, you know, has changed everything in my life. But I think, you know, you can do that wherever you are, whether you're a banker, whether you're a florist, um, you can bring, you know, the, the kingdom values that you believe in into your work, into the way that you, you serve your customers, into the way that you lead uh, your team members, uh, into the way that you, um, you support others. Craziest thing we can do is nothing. Uh, we can make a difference wherever we are by bringing Jesus' kingdom values into all that we say, into all that we do. And what I love is that if God was prepared to give his only son for us because he loves us so much, for you because he loves you so much, Will he not give you everything else as well? Paul says he wants you to present your body as a living sacrifice so that you can prove what God's will is for your life. God's will, is for your, God's will for your life is good. God has good things for you to do in your life. It's pleasing. It's, it's, it will please you, and it's perfect. That's to say that essentially you can't do better than God. There's no point in saying that, you know what, I can do this without God. We're not meant to do it without God. We're meant to be in a relationship, a partnership. We go through life with him, and, and that's what makes it so exciting. You have great things ahead of you in your life. We all do. God loves you. He's poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. He's giving you this bubbling love for other people, for the world, for your enemy, 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us this love. He has a great purpose for your life that's good, pleasing, perfect. He wants you to make a difference with your life. And I recently spoke at a senior's coffee hour a couple weeks ago. And my main point was don't hang up your skates because you guys still have so much to offer. So no matter where you're at on the spectrum, when you think most of my life's behind me, no, it's not. God's still got a purpose for you. Or if you're starting out and you're still quite early on, on the spectrum, God's got exciting things in store that are good, pleasing, and perfect. You can make a difference with your life. You're a child of God, full of the Holy Spirit. So let's go out and make a difference in Jesus' name. The questions that we're going to discuss tonight around the tables are what did you think or feel about the message or what stood out to you? What are your dreams for the future? If you could go back in time and give your past self some advice, what would you want to say? Have you ever noticed yourself making a decision to do something just because the people around you were doing it? How do you feel about the idea that God has a purpose for your life or the idea of having a fresh start in life? And do you find it hard to trust God with your future? Why or why not? Let me just pray and then we'll break up into this discussion.